As in someone I've known a long time, and also he's old. Um, <laughs> my friend Gunnar Sauerman. How are, how are you, Gunnar? Not too bad. How are you doing? I am, you know, maybe gonna call in a death threat to Mark Zuckerberg, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I think, the usual thing on the internet, so don't worry. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's Monday. Like, something happened. I'm stressed. It's okay. Um... <laughs> So yeah, so how are, for, for those who don't know who you are, you know, you've kind of been, how long have you even been in this scene? How did you get involved in the first place? Well, I think the first time that somebody outside my posse of friends noticed that I exist in the world of metal was probably sometime in 1997, 96, can't really remember when, when I started to have a local radio show called Black Metal Art in Oldenburg, which is a city close to Bremen. It's actually much bigger than Bremen, but nobody cares, like not in size of people, but in population, but actually in size of uh, territory. But uh, yeah, somewhere in the Northwest of Germany, an obscure Black Metal radio show happened. And I very quickly figured, hey, all these promoters give you interviews if you ask them which was really cool because I got to speak to people like Fenris and Alan from Primordial and so on and so on before they became big and famous. But uh, mm -hmm. I could interview them and broadcast their music. So that was fun. And yeah, then in 2001, I kind of got hijacked by Metal Hammer Germany, the former editor, Robert Müller, who's kind of like the Pope for black metal or dark metal, gothic metal, anything and death metal in Germany. Uh, discovered me actually at a primordial gig and uh, kind of forced me into slave labor for the magazine. I never planned to do that. Well, How old were you when that happened? Sorry? How old were you when that happened? How old was I when that happened? Good question. Uh, so I was... Uh, let me quickly calculate, like mathematics has never been my strong side on this planet. Uh, 30, I think I must have already been 32 or something. Okay. So it wasn't, um, so you'd already like had a life. Yeah, totally. Like I would recommend that to everybody have a life before you get involved in the music scene. Then your life ends, which basically is what happened, but. That's another story. So what were you doing before you were involved in the music scene? Uh, I was actually on my way to become an archaeologist uh, with like okay. the main field, Iron Age, uh, until the early medieval period, including Viking period. And uh, also linguistics. I studied and Celtic studies, took a degree in Dublin, a diploma of early Irish language and literature. 
And comparative linguistics, which was mainly an excuse for my teacher, and that was great for my professor, to do Old Norse. And I love that. And so, so then a few years later, after, out of the Metal Hammer gig, you end up working for Season of Mist, right? Yeah, that, it's also hard to tell when that happened. Must have been like some 15, 16 years ago or so. Um, what happened was that at the time, the change, the transition from print to digital started to become felt. So mm -hmm. like you couldn't really survive as a freelancer anymore, like working for two, three magazines really didn't cut it. And I was slowly and surely getting broke when I met seasonal mist label boss Michael Barbarian, who already knew me through, of course, my black metal work. Uh, at Wacken Open Air, I think it was quite late at night when he asked me, how are you doing? And I said, well, I'm not too happy because in about six months I will be broke. And then he said, well, I'm actually looking for a promoter. Why don't you work for me? You just have to move to Marseille. For Northern German, that is a bit of a move, but I said, yeah, why not? And did it and never regretted it. And so you kind of reached this point in the scene where a lot of people have, you know, myself included, have a very extreme level of respect for you and what you've done. Flattery. No, but really. And my question is like... That wasn't fishing for compliments. Nice no, I, I know, but what I'm saying is like... At what, what, so season of mist. So how did you start to learn? You know, you and I have these really... When we work together on Prophecy Production stuff, we have these really high-level, interesting conversations about the business was season of mystery you really started to learn the business and get some of your unique ideas that have sort of played out so well how did that start to happen where did you start to really educate yourself on how this whole thing worked well i mean basically there were of course those who went uh, before me at season of mist there was sabine and guillaume who let me know all the things that they knew and had learned and on the other hand as a journalist i brought already some ideas of what for example not to do with journalists when you're a promoter because i was seeing the picture from both ends sure so uh, like and of course i brought already a lot of contacts uh, which then again that season of mist became far more international and uh, so the rest was like learning by doing, more or less. The, like the job of a promoter is not really that defined and the role might be interpreted in different ways at different labels. So mm -hmm. basically what you have to do is when you get into it is just like learn the ropes by those that are in the label. And from there on you develop your own style and your own handwriting when it comes to promotion and then you move on and <laughs> Suddenly, at some stage, people find that, like, oh, yeah, that guy, because they have to deal with you again and again and again. If you want or not. That's the good thing about being a promoter. You're kind of, like, sitting on all these great bands and this great music. And if you want to get at it, you have to go through me. Yay. Power mat. Well, I'm German, so that explains it. <laughs> well, yeah, and that was sort of, like, what I wanted to get into is that what... I feel like you could do a lot of things within the scene. What keeps you doing promotion? Well, I mean, I had a short intermezzo at a festival, that small one uh, called Wacken Open Air, for doing their press. 
Yeah. And I think I needed that break because like basically as a promoter, you also glorified babysitter for bands. Sure. Which sometimes can be demanding. And uh, well, some of the press, uh, like especially the not so professional ones that are just starting up or that have a tiny web sim and probably over ambitious expectations um, can be hard to deal and hard to work with. So after about 10 years, I needed a break and I was working for a festival. I also thought like, hey, at a festival, things are far more organized than at a label. Yeah, uh, no. So uh, then when like the policy at Wacken changed and they kind of dissolved the whole press department, I was lucky to be picked up by Prophecy Productions. And also I found that like, after this break, I had all the energy again, and it was actually fun. So basically what you need to bring is like, you need to be able to deal with chaos because there will be chaos. There will be delays in production. There will be bands doing things they shouldn't do. There will be mistakes being done by the manufacturing companies that like screw up your whole promotion. There will be leaks. There will be all kind of like uh, things that just happen and you have to deal with it yeah. and find ways to whatever happens use that to your benefit and to the benefit of the bands that you're representing um i've learned that like so dealing with chaos is one of the prerequisites secondly you should be able to deal with um people all kinds of people yeah like, uh, whatever there is it's a people's job you are in contact with people the whole day long you get to know new people like every time, every day and throughout the whole year. You have to try and remember like as many as you can, but also you have to deal with like nice people, not so nice people, really not nice people, uh, brilliant people, dumb people, like it's the whole selection. It's like people, people, people. So if you can't deal with people and if you're totally into misanthropy and want to live on an island, then this isn't for you, wrong job. So like that, I think, are the two main tools that you have to bring to the table. And what cannot hurt is an understanding of how press works. Also, how the different types of press work, work. print has other needs than onliners and so on and so on. Uh, radio has different needs from TV and so on. Like, so basically, if you understand what press needs, if you can identify what it might be interesting for press, then you're on the right track. What? There's been a lot of conversations lately about sort of the future of press, especially I feel like in Europe, you still have these like this bastion of, you know, print magazines that remain really valuable. But my question is like, how do you see the future of um, band promotion going? Well, I mean, that is, that's the question if anybody could answer that now and it's still valid within 10 years i would give that person total kudos and all my money to buy me stocks because i'm gonna be rich uh, i think at the moment nobody can predict how this is going the whole industry is still in a lot of change and turmoil and it will not be settling down fast so what you also have to do it's another thing you need to bring to your table you have to adapt you have to identify new ways that are becoming promotionally interesting 
you also have to like understand the basic workings and what is important every country even in europe has a different approach like print is still important much more important in germany in france for example you have very strong websins like la grosse radio or radio metal that are like i would say equal to the print press that they're also still having there yeah. Uh, in England, like it's total domination of the print press, but they also dominate the web, uh, like Metal Hammer, Proc, Classic Rock, like that's the big ones, and but they are big in print and online. There's like so far no big or like very influential British online magazine that I could like any websin that I could point out. Also, websins have the same problem now that print magazines have. They're basically slowly dying with their readers. Yeah. Like print will probably die first because the readers are older, as are their writers. I mean, didn't grow that beard out of nothing. And, but websins, like we were having this panel at the Inferno Festival in Oslo with uh, a Norwegian journalist, Harald. Yeah, I remember this panel. And Robert Müller from Metal Hammer Germany, me moderating the whole thing. And I think Robert was the one who coined a phrase, who coined that phrase there, like, uh, the, we will die with our readers. And it was very applicable. What, what surprising to me was afterwards, because I had two Norwegian web magazines coming to me going like, you know what you just described about print, we're experiencing the same thing. Yeah. Um, like they're losing readers too. That's probably because people don't want to read more than two sentences nowadays. And uh, the formats are changing. So like, yeah, there is still constant change. So there's no prediction. The only thing that you have to know is identify new ways, use them for your promotion or you will become redundant and your label will suffer for it. So you have to constantly adapt and change. What, so as you know, so you said webzines are slowing down and losing value, right? So where are you putting your in, your energy now? Where, where do you, or where do you think you're going to be putting your energy more in 2021? Well, I mean, you have to basically play all the things. As I said, print magazines are still important for a scene. You also have to see that the whole scene is getting older. Like yeah. metal is not the youth culture it was in the early eight in the seventies or the early eighties. Yeah, it's become like filled with old men like me. Uh, would be nice if we had some more younger women, but uh, that aside, because then again, I will probably get lots of complaints about saying that. But uh, yeah, I mean, basically, the whole scene is aging. Uh, cringe, cringe, cringe. I can see that. Are you kids? Well, anyways. Um, well, no, I, I I agree. I definitely joking, joking, joking. No, no, but but I agree. What I'm saying is like I remember, like I'm still. I, I started going to St. Vitus Bar when I was 19. I am still the youngest person at St. Vitus Bar six years later. <laughs> yeah, see, there you are. But <laughs> uh, I think I've seen St. Vitus. I don't think you were already born then. No, I'm talking about the bar in Brooklyn, not the band. All right, I was talking about the band. <laughs> no, of course. Um, that's probably the difference in, from like where we are from. But uh, um, where was I stuck? No, I mean, like the scene is aging, so you can't discard print. Yeah, I agree. You might not be on your target audience. I remember promoting a certain English band, I'm not naming names here. And whatever I did online, it just didn't work. 
And I was getting desperate because I knew my former boss had paid a lot of money for it. And uh, so I went to him one day and said like, look, I don't know what's going on here, but I can't get this band to work. And he was staring at me going, what's your problem with selling, sh selling shitloads of records? I'm like, oh, okay. Hmm. And then I went to their show. I was one of the youngest members of that audience. And that is when it made click in my head. And that's when, for example, for this band online was not the best idea because yeah, yeah. that will never work. You cannot not do it because there will be some younger friends that you're gaining with that, but don't expect miracles. You have to focus on traditional in, like instruments for this band. You have to use the print magazines. You have to use flyers when they're touring. You have to use posters when they're touring in the cities that they're playing or else the people you want to reach will never notice that their band is playing because they're not on Facebook. That was like how many Facebook profiles you do for every concert doesn't have any effect. Yeah. But for other bands, you need to go this way. And then like the well, the newest thing, it's not really new, but I mean everybody's grinned at like TikTok, for example. TikTok, TikTok. I still think it's incredibly stupid, but it's seemingly a lot of younger people are not sharing my the opinion of good old granddaddy there. So they're on it. So the music industry will probably have to hijack TikTok too and use it for its purposes. And then you don't know what's coming next year. It might be the newest whatever thing it is. Uh, you have to go where the people are. You have to go where you can spread music. So like, I think when you ask me for where will you put your focus, that will depend on the band I'm promoting and where I see its main target. There is no one promotion fits all. That's another thing about this job. You need to have some flexibility or else you're screwed. Absolutely. What is the thing you wish more bands understood? <laughs> that you have to work hard. Sadly, uh, obviously. <laughs> um, I mean, like, you have this interesting phenomenon, like there are some bands, not naming names again, that are from the olden days when like you just had to plug a guitar and groupies and whiskey would flow your way uh, that has changed you have to like put a lot more effort into what you're doing these days uh, the visuals are really important for a band that's also some of the older bands never really got that and like people standing in front of a brick wall might have been appealing in the 1980s although i think it wasn't probably the best idea then but it really doesn't work anymore in 2021. So like, please put some effort into that. Also, it's kind of hard to, sometimes to move the older bands into using the show, the shows, the social, socials. She, yeah. She sells seashells by the seashore and, <laughs> and uses her socials while she's at it. Well, anyway, um, like, so they have to work this. With younger bands, you sometimes have the kind of the opposite effect they're kind of totally over motivated but they're not seeing the limits they're like hey we're on tour Let, let's face it like we were at this festival and there were tons of interviews lined up for metallica we were also at this festival the opening band on the smallest stage why was nobody interested in us it's your fault as a promoter you should have given us 20 interviews gotten us into q magazine metal hammer classic rock and the new york times at the same time you're like okay no so uh, yeah, some yeah. basic understanding of the business. That's something that younger bands need to bring to the, well, also the older bands that haven't understood the change of the business, 
the younger bands that never bothered to understand the business who think like, hey, we signed up to a label. Now we don't have to do work anymore. The label does it for us. And yeah. hey, why is not anything happening? But like, we are we and like our friends know us and we're really important. We think so. And since we signed, now we don't have to do the work. He's doing the work. Uh, that's also not how this goes. So that's the two things I would wish from a band to, from bands to understand, or maybe it's just one. Get to know the business and how it works today and do something about it, which is mean work and work hard or you're going nowhere. How do you suggest bands or people in general learn the business? Well, first of all, like I, I know bands were actually members went into different fields and learned about things like publishing for example that's like the big elephant in the room is where everybody like has heard about publishing but how does knows. publishing work yeah. you wouldn't believe how many people don't get how publishing works so actually it helps if one at least one member in the band gets business savvy and learns about these things. You can read up online. There are brilliant courses online. There are free courses online. You can go to panels at festivals. There's a lot of things that you can do as a band to understand things. Like uh, if you ever see on any festival billing, Michael Bavarian advertised uh, telling you about publishing, go to it. Because like I know nobody who's as brilliant as he is in explaining publishing for dummies. And uh, just uh, as one of the hints, but like really do something about it. I mean, there is no, basically in most countries, I know there's a course in, for in the Netherlands, I think in Eindhoven, for example, for aspiring metal musicians. Yeah. We also learn a lot about the business. Yeah. It's probably not wrong. If you really plan a career with your band and you think you have a chance, because let's face it, few bands will get to the side where you can live off the band. Like, especially nowadays, sure. there are hundreds, thousands of bands lurking around the internet, trying to gain attention. But uh, if you have learned something about the business, that actually might help you a lot. So maybe taking a course at a university, if you think you want to become a professional musician, isn't the worst idea ever. Well, and I definitely think that. Or wherever you take your knowledge. I think that a lot of musicians don't realize how much money they're missing out on by not taking a course at university or, or by or by even just watching the right 15 music video or YouTube videos. It's another big era of bands sometimes to believe like, oh, yeah, we sign up to a manager and that will solve all of our problems. Uh, yeah. No, actually it doesn't. Also, it doesn't make sense. If you're a small band, really, you want to share 20% or more of your income with somebody who probably doesn't do much. Uh, also, if you have no clue what he's supposed to do, then he'll probably just do whatever, but not work very hard for you. It's best to work your own ass off. A band of the size of Metallica, of course they need a management, but they will have a pro management that really understand their bloody business. And still, it's best for a band to check up on their manager too. Like, what is he doing? And what's it, what's it doing for us? And what about our income? But you're right, a lot of bands lose out about money because, for example, they never take care of their publishing deals. Or again, laziness, band on tour, they're not having track lists which they send to their publisher. So the publisher can go and collect mechanicals. Uh, if you don't do the work, then your publisher will not be able to do anything. The nice thing about a publisher is uh, you can only get money if, if he actually makes money for you because he takes a percentage. 
So yeah. publisher is actually sometimes the better option than having uh, management. Because like <laughs> the more the publisher generates, the more you will get, like he will get. So he has an interest to do so. Of course, there's also publishers who just sign on and then let the band rot in hell and they're not doing anything about it. Uh, that also exists, but that also means you will not make money through publishing. But yeah, if you know your business, then making money will become easier for you because you know how and where and when and what. I mean, the things I have experienced, like phone calls, hey, we're in wherever uh, in the late afternoon and we ran out of t-shirts. Uh, what do you mean? You just started your tour. Yeah, and we ran out of t-shirts. And now what? Yeah, can you get us some printed for tomorrow? So you're already, you, and then you even do the impossible. You find a printer who's willing to do that overnight. And then they go like, yeah, but these shirts are far too expensive. Nah, we don't want to do that. Cost too much money. We don't make a plus. Yeah, but at least your fans will have a possibility to buy your merch. Yeah, no. Ah, thank you. Great. But like, hey, not having t-shirts on the second day or third day of your tour means you have seriously miscalculated. And you should have noticed after the first evening that like, hey, people are buying far more than we thought, maybe in form or label or whoever, that we really need print new shirts done right now because it's your money that you're losing. On merch, you make the most money on a tour, Absolutely. more on the door deals or whatever you're having. So not being able to provide t-shirts or other merchandise items to your fans means you're losing out on cash. Bad idea. Yeah, that's, like that's part of understanding the business and well, just basic human ability to calculate that will sometimes help. I, I can understand it. that artists are in another sphere, but like, at least get the basics right. Sure. And no. be interested, you know, like the, I know the business can be tedious, but it's part of your job. If you want yeah. to become a professional musician, that's part of your job. And if you outsource it to others, then they might rip you off left, right, and center. And you will never notice because you're not bothering to read the figures. Yeah. And that's um, such as the ideals for like <laughs> for a bazillion albums. And at the eighth album that you're releasing, and since album number two or three, you're delivering hit after hit, you still get peanuts and you could make a living out of that. Or so alternative. Be aware of what you sign before you do it. Something I see happen a lot, and I actually want to talk to you about this. Something I see happening a lot for band for label for band signing to a label like Prophecy, mm -hmm. where it's like it's a it's a good size label, but we're not universal, right? You know, we're not a major, even if even if Prophecy can do some good stuff. What I'll see happen every once in a while is a band is like the flip side of the coin. It's a band will hire too high level a lawyer who sits down and tries to change everything, not understanding how underground deals work. Uh, yeah, I've experienced that too. You know That's what I mean? Where, where it's like, oh, okay, your percentage is this much and they go and they ask for this much more. Or they say like $5,000, that's not a big enough advance. Ask for 10 for your first album when you haven't proven yourself, <laughs> you know? And like, and it's just so aggravating because I get where they're coming from. I get that like for, you know, a pop act on Warner, that makes sense. But for a death metal band on, I don't know, whatever small label, 
<laughs> no, well, that, but that's a very simple thing. Like at least this isn't a complicated thing. Band doing that will probably end up not having a contract. Simple as that. Because Fair. label after label, I've seen that happen in the past. Like label after label will reject them, and in the end, they will like either lose their chance completely because time doesn't stop. And if you're like six weeks, six years too late to your possible first contract, uh, whatever you've been playing that was exciting back then has already been taken over by other bands. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, it doesn't mean that you have to content with everything the label puts in front of you, but be reasonable. I agree. Yeah, no, well, I think that. And you can talk to your colleagues. I mean, musicians yeah. also have the ability just asking other bands and for example, bands on that label, hey, we got this offer. How does yours look? Uh, if they're good friends, um, we would like to <laughs> compare. Well, this, this is like the thing that frustrates me, right? Is like people get screwed because they're not engaged with their community, right? Like I feel like I can sign a band to, <clears throat> I can get, if I get a band to deal with pretty much any label, I probably know someone who signed to that label where I can like go double check for that band. For example. You know, whereas if you don't know people, you're just kind of boned, I think. Well, and compare contracts, you know, like yeah. if, if you have more than one offer on the table, you can compare what each of them says, just be careful what you read into it, because there is where you might need a specialist, because like not everything is clear as daylight, something that looks good in one contrast, my contract might actually be better in another contract. Yeah. Absolutely. I know a band that has signed on to another label, although their old label was offering them, not naming any names here again, but like their old label was actually offering to put a substantial amount of extra money into their back catalog and that back catalog is still selling. The band still signed on to another label without the back catalog. Reason probably being the advance was higher. That wasn't a clever move, but this band actually, and this is where you need to check your management, had a management and that management probably recommended to take the higher advance. Reason being, they will get a percentage of that advance. They will not yeah. get a single penny out of the back catalog. So yeah, it's best if you know your own business and if you can calculate, nobody will take that, like, take that job from you. And friends and family can also be an issue. I mean, uh, you probably all know that new old story like of multimillionaire, uh, like uh, uh, Billy Joel, for example, uh, who got more or less robbed of everything he had by his brother-in-law, who was slash manager, uh, who just ran away with all the cash. So yeah, there it went. So yeah, you need to be up on your own game. You need to be able to at least basically read contracts. Don't hesitate to ask a specialist if you want anything done, but also remember where you are that's basically what you said if you if your uncle is the best lawyer ever in the music business and he has been dealing with all the big ones and with sony and whatever his advice may not apply to small underground death metal black metal or whatever labels and then you might just not get a contract yeah do you if have any on board maybe your expectations are not really up to it <laughs> to the reality like it's get real and also if you're just starting up and you get a contract first of all congratulations because that's not easy to get there is of course the approach hey we don't need record labels anymore 
now it could be said I'm biased because I worked for record labels, but fact is a record label nowadays is more or less a service provider. Yeah. They provide a ton of services. They provide their PR knowledge, their network. They provide you with the knowledge of how to produce an album because believe it or not, it's actually quite a difficult thing to get something produced. And especially if you want like a special edition that takes a ton of knowledge, try doing that yourself. Good luck is all I can say. Good luck getting your album out to the press if you don't know the rules of how press works. Um, then you will simply miss all of that. Sure, you can, some bands get lucky, but basically, if you take a look around, how many independent bands do you know that are working without a label support and are super successful? Uh, wait, I don't think there is any. Yeah. Well, yeah, I always say, how many bands do you care about who aren't local to you who, have, who are unsigned? Yeah, that's another good question. Yeah. So the reality is <coughs> basically if you want or not, you can get to a certain point by yourself, but in the end you will need a service provider like a label. Well said. Unless you are really good at doing your own business, but that is usually bands that have been in the business for a long time, know what they're doing, and then taking their business independent, but also these bands will learn that, yeah, then it's a full-time job. Yeah because you don't have all these people working for you because that's what a label does. It's a service provider, a label. I mean, a label basically used to be a bank. <laughs> it still is that partly because you get the advance and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, a label nowadays is like a multi-service provider that will advise you on many issues if you ask them. If you, of course, think you can do everything better than they do and well, good luck. Then we're again at the ignore your label's advice at your peril. They might have a little bit of a clue of what is going on because yay, they might have been around for quite a while. Any final words of wisdom before we wrap this up? Well, this was more or less a total business <laughs> conversation, but I guess that's what your blog is up to. Of course. So uh, final words, um, well, kids, work hard, know what you're doing, get yourself informed. Education is never a stupid idea, no matter which field you're in. So uh, do something about it, but don't expect everything to go just bam, and here's your record deal. And then like off you sell 100,000 records, you become rich and famous. And yet not, that's not really how it usually works, unless you're super lucky. This has been Dumb and Dumbest. You have been listening.